1: Hello and welcome to the Wisdom Cricket Weekly podcast. It's been an extremely hectic week in English cricket. England have dropped their two greatest ever wicket takers in Test cricket. Heads are rolled at the ECB. England have lost another Ashes series without winning a single match. And there was even a World Cup final defeat snuck in there as well. We'll be talking about all that. Justin Langer's resignation as Australia coach and much, much more over the next hour or so. I'm Yaz Rana, and with me today is the magazine editor of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Joe Harmon, the editor-in-chief of Wisden Cricket Monthly, Phil Walker, and the managing editor of Wisdom.com, Ben Gardner. Firstly, let's head to Mark Butcher to hear what he thinks about England dropping Stuart Broad and James Anderson for the tour to the Caribbean next month. But we've had about a million questions uh, on this since the news was broken last night. Can you see the logic behind what England have done in leaving out both James Anderson and Stuart Broad?
2: No. <laughs> I can't. I, I could certainly see. I could certainly see an argument for for giving Jimmy the, the tour off. Um, I think with with Stuart only because his performances have, have been fantastic. Um, you know, unimpeachable for the last for the last at least a year, but probably longer than that. Um, but also from the point of view of what he quite rightly said um, about. Trying to trying to win what's right in front of you, um, or giving yourself at least the best chance of trying to win the games that are right in front of you. Um, I find it quite bizarre that, that he didn't make the trip, and and also you know, you know the the replacement for him, you know, Matt Fisher is Matt Fisher is an interesting one. I kind of I, I I was a bit blindsided by that, but he he has certain attributes that 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 might be of use um, in Test match cricket. He's tall he, he kind of hits the pitch really hard gets him close to the stumps you know he's got a sort of a, a McGrath like um, action through the crease um, not a comparison but it's just you know it's a, it's a type, type of the way that he operates um, and so he could be somebody that whose game whilst hasn't whilst it hasn't been sort of massively eye-catching at first class level could um, could translate into something that will that will do good things in test match cricket but in terms of in terms of trying to in terms of taking a team which looks on paper as though it can but win in the west indies and let 's face it this 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 team needs a win right It needs maybe one test match win but it needs a series win um, you're kind of thinking to yourself well i'd quite like to have had Stuart up my sleeve um, to play in all three Test matches and to lead what is going to be a relatively inexperienced attack, particularly given that um you know, England's sort of most senior bowler in all of that is Chris Wokes, and and, and Wokes was anonymous in in the Ashes. Um, you know, I hold my hands up. I thought that he turned a corner with the Kookaburra and, and, and all and all that. Um, but he, although unlucky as the tour went went a little bit further on, kind of just didn't dispel any of the the of, the of the issues that people have had with his performances overseas, and that's a worry. He's he's our he's now our main main guy on the trip.
1: I guess there are quite a few strands there that are quite hard to get, get your head round. One, I guess, is that for all the... It's exciting to see a couple of new faces in there, but England are likely to go into that first test with an attack of Ollie Robinson and Mark Wood, Chris Wokes and Jack Leach, which is the attack they start at the Ashes with. And we can understand why they're backing Ollie Robinson and Mark Wood, both of them very good with the ball in the last year or so. Um, but so, one, these new guys might not even play. And then, two, I guess, this is an extremely big call to make under an interim head coach. Surely the new head coach wants to be the person who wants to make that decision. A new head coach might come in, look at the squad and say, there aren't many experienced test match players who are used to being part of a winning side. I want every test match I can get out of Anderson and Broad. That decision has partly been taken away from him because Strauss, uh, Root, Stokes are all still going to be part of the England setup in one way or another when the new coach comes in. And that decision's slightly been taken out of the new coach's hands.
2: Well I mean you know that door's been, the door's been left open by the by the comments that Andrew Strauss makes, and you know I, I hesitate to kind of to, to have a go at strauss's logic because he's, he's been here before as a, as a captain and, and as a sort of a director of cricket um, and, and both times he's made sort of big calls over over big senior players, and both times he's been vindicated in the end. Um, what I would say is the position with both James and Stuart is very different from any that he's made before, because Broad and Anderson are still England's outstanding bowlers in England's lineup. If you if you take Mark Wood out of the equation, and Mark Wood will play, you know Mark Wood is very much in that sort of top three. And as I said before, I can I can understand the logic of giving Jimmy the giving Jimmy the trip off. I mean, you know, West Indies pitches, you know, that kind of hit the pitch hard um, type thing. Might you know he he'd be able to cope with it? It's no problem, but. It just seems like unnecessarily mileage on his clock. Whereas for Stuart, he's exactly the sort of... You Remember the, the furore last time he got left out down there for Sam Curran, mm. you know? Stewart is exactly the type of bowler that you want and need um, on West Indian surfaces. Um, and so the, the, the case for him being there and perhaps not starting off in the summer or, or, you know, being called time on in the summer if it didn't go up well in the West Indies was compelling to have him go to the West Indies. To prove that he still has the desire—not, I don't think he needs to prove it—but just to prove to everybody else that listen, I, I'm, I'm a Test match cricketer. I'm one of the best there has ever been, um, and I and I damn well deserve to be wearing the shirt. So look, I mean that that will that will rumble on. You know, things go badly, you lose a toss and get spanked all over the place in the first one. Then then Anderson abroad, as it was in Brisbane, it's going to be the worst decision in the world. I, st- you know, I, again, I go back to this. I I. I Jimmy I see I can get I get that Stuart not
1: <clears throat> I think there'll be a couple of newspaper columns this weekend that are worth keeping an eye on from from Messrs Anderson abroad, just trying to get my head around why. Uh, Root and Stokes, why they might have been part of that call. I guess there were some clues there. When Anderson had a niggle at Brisbane, Broad didn't play, which was a surprise, especially given the conditions there. Anderson and Broad were criticised for bowling a little bit too short. At one point, I think it was during the Adelaide Test. When Stokes was captain for one test match in the 2020 summer, Stuart Broad, who was arguably England's bowler of 2019, was left out of that one test. So you kind of get the impression that if they don't want the two of them in the side, they don't really want them on the, on the bench either and it's not we've kind of had hints that it all, all has not been well behind the scenes, not as well as it could have been or might have been in the past.
2: Well, there is, I mean there is that whole that whole thing whereby um, and, and this is you know another strand to the, to the discussion whereby a new, a new broom and you know, it's not a new broom, Joe Root is the, the most the most um, capped captain um, that England has ever had. Um, trying to uh, trying to kind of their their marker upon a team full of new guys is much easier than doing it with with guys who have been around forever and and, and every organization goes through that um, you know whereby the, the the old guard whilst still performing and whilst it, Aren't, aren't perhaps allowing you to move things forward in the way that you want to as a management group. And again, that's something that I, I get and I understand. However, however, it's been the same with, with other great players, players down the line. How much, how much sort of interim pain are you willing to, to take? And how much are you willing to risk the fact that your job might end up being on the line if results continue to, to go on a downward curve? In order to kind of make this point, and isn't the art of management uh, being able to assimilate all of these people—the the old guys, the new guys—and try to bring them together as, as a team? And if what they're saying is is that Anderson and Broad's attitude, or, or their or their um, belligerence, or grumpiness, or whatever around the group is something that's that's preventing um, preventing the team from moving forward, then I would su- I would suggest that um you know the the batters. Um, who haven't managed to get England past 300 in the last uh, in the last 10 innings might uh, wear cotton wool in the dressing room when they come in, so they can't hear them speaking because what they're doing on the field um, is not a problem. Uh, the, the whole thing about, but you know, the, the short length in, in Adelaide and all those types of things. You know, the, the bowlers will turn around to you and say, "Listen, if the ball's not swinging, we're not pitching it up." And then as soon as it you know, then when the ball moves, we'll get it up a little bit further. It's kind of you know, that's that, that's a natural tendency. Um, you, you defend when, when things are not in your favour and you attack when they are. And these two blokes have got nearly 1,200 test match wickets between them. I think they know. I think they understand and can, and can figure it out. These are not a couple of newbies that have no idea. Um, look, it's, it, it'll, it'll run and run. Uh, the the leech thing you mentioned before is, is very interesting. That I don't get at all.
1: What that he's been included?
2: I don't I don't understand. Do, I do not understand because over the over the course of the run up to the Ashes they had they, they proved that they had no confidence in picking him whatsoever. Right. But did everything in their power not to include him in teams against New Zealand and India up until the until the very end. Um then they they play him in Brisbane, which I I don't have an issue with them playing him in Brisbane, we just shouldn't have we just shouldn't have backed first, you know. <laughs> Crikey. Um, but, but having had no cricket, they kind of, you know, he, he got spanked in Brisbane. And then leave him out on the, the one pitch where you, you must play a, a, must play the specialist spinner in Adelaide. Um, Joe Root has shown no sign whatsoever of having any confidence in this guy. Um, and to me, after getting the mauling that he got in Australia, for him now to be the sort of the number one guy as a spinner again just doesn't make any sense. Mm. You know whether whether or not he is the he is the best bowler that we've got in the in the country, spinner we've got in the country, which I'm starting to doubt very much. But you know, at, at what point at what point do you just say, you know what, we're flogging the wrong horse here, and, and we try to bring somebody else in? I mean, I, I, if they've gone with they've gone with Matt Parkinson, I'd have taken his brother as well. They've got you know leg spinner and left arm spinner in Leach and Parkinson. I'd have taken Callum Parkinson and said, you go. Mm. Um, I know, you know, Antigua can turn. There, there, there might, there, there might well be um, cause for the spinners to have some joy out there. But you know, if the, put it this way, if he doesn't play all three Test matches and doesn't have a good time, then that that really should be it. Because mm. I, I don't, I don't see how you move forward from from where that relationship is.
1: I hear what you're saying, but I'd, I'd argue that it's not been clear who among English spinners Root really does back. Because Don Best, you know, he was taking out the attack in India after bowling badly, and we've basically not seen him since. Understandably, I guess, Matt Parkinson's been part of quite a few tours without ever getting a game. So you'd have thought, England have seen a lot of Matt Parkinson in the nets, and for one reason or another, despite his excellent first-class record, they've not picked him yet. So a kind of like, what, what's changed? In, in, the, in, in Australia, he didn't play in the England Lions game. What, what's changed since then?
2: He is on the trip. I mean, the, the, the thing you're talking about there is not, the, is not the spinner then, per se. It's the captain. Mm. And that's another that's another strand of conversation entirely isn't it hmm. um, you know that is is part of the issue with with England and their and their lack of trust in or their um, the lack of improvement with the spin bowlers that have been picked down to a captain who is naturally suspicious of them or doesn't handle them particularly well um, I think there's plenty of evidence to show that that Potentially is a large slice of it, mm. um, which which is again why I'm slightly confused because because, <laughs> because it, it would have made sense to me if if Joe Root, who stayed on as captain, who was, his captain as part of the selection panel along with Taylor and, and everybody else, had said, you know what, it's, it, it just isn't working out with, with myself and and, and, uh, and Jack Leach. Let's let's go let's look somewhere else. Um, what what we're asking for is a, is a change in that relationship. And if that doesn't happen, then, you know, who's going? Well, it ain't going to be Joe Rue, is it? <laughs> he's, he, is, he, he has proven himself to be um, as to be un, unsackable. But, you know, it, it, he's, he's, he's sort of come through it relatively unscathed with a remit to kind of go again and rebuild again. Um, and so, so at the moment, he's not going anywhere.
1: Cheers for your time, Butch. Talk to you next week. Okay. The eight players who were part of the Ashes squad haven't made the cut. James Anderson, Stuart Broad most famously, but also Don Best, Sam Billings, Roy Burns, Josh Butler, Hasiba Mead and Dowd Milan. Um, Joe, they're two England's two greatest wicket-takers. Broad was England's leading wicket-taker in 2019 and 2020, Anderson in 2021. Since Anderson was Broad's age, which is 35, he's taken 117 wickets at 21. Um, Andrew Strauss said that this isn't necessarily the end for them and the door isn't completely closed, but can you make some sense of what's gone on?
3: Um, I think it's fair to say we were all taken aback when the news came through yesterday uh, and the more I've thought about it since the less the decision makes sense to me um, I think the caveat is we don't know what's been going on in the in the dressing room um, there are sort of vague echoes of 13-14 with, with Peterson that there is a kind of like, Michael Vaughan's column <laughs> in the Telegraph this morning talking about culture which generally only comes up when teams are losing Um I think Root obviously has had a part of this decision. We can't think that Strauss has done it independently with Collingwood and Taylor. Um, and if Root doesn't think he can manage the team the way he wants with Broad and Anderson, then that creates doubt about his qualities as a captain as much as anything else. Uh, and I was thinking if if we had a fit and fu- fit and firing Joffre Archer, if Ollie Stone had been able to build on that really impressive test match in India last year, and we had the kind of wealth of seam options that we hoped we would at this stage, then then maybe, maybe I could get on board with this. But when you've got Matthew Fisher coming into the squad, who is a very talented bowler and has been talked about for a long time, you just have to say, it's a punt. It's nothing more than a punt. He's never taken more than 20 first-class wickets in a season. Uh, he's only taken two first-class fifers. He debuted, albeit very young, in, I think, 2016, maybe 2015. So... They've obviously identified someone there, and they think there's potential. But but to throw him into a into a Caribbean tour where England have struggled to win and drop Broad and Anderson, yeah, as I say, it, it's a punt and nothing more than that. And you know, it might come off, but I can't help but feel that England have made their life a lot more difficult uh, in an already very difficult situation.
1: Phil, can you make some sense of, of what's what's gone on? Could you kind of see where Root and Co are coming from?
3: Yeah,
4: I mean, we'd love to know how much influence uh, or how much. Overall control Root has had over the picking of this squad, um, and how much, uh, that the big boss, Sir Andrew, has decided upon this squad. Because if it's the latter, uh, then that's thrown quite a few people off kilter, isn't it? Because people were, were baying for Strauss to come in as Mr. Common Sense with that kind of assumed authority that, that he's garnered over the years. If, if this is largely Strauss's call, then that's that's an interesting element to it as well. Clearly, something has been burbling away for a while now between the power couple of Root and Stokes and the other power couple of, of Anderson and Broad. Um, if you're picking a squad purely on quality and record, then clearly the two of them go. They're, they're the first two bowlers that you put down on the, on the sheet, without a shadow of a doubt. And... Um, For me, this looks like a two-pronged decision based on, on the one hand, clearly their age in the sense that that cycle has come to a a rather ignominious finish um, in Australia. And two, the fact that they are so influential and so powerful in that dressing room and Root, who is not particularly domineering himself, has had trouble, I think, managing the two of them. And it came to a head in the build-up to Brisbane when famously, infamously, Broad didn't play, which was a peculiar decision at best. And Anderson was deemed to be injured and yet was bowling full tilt on the morning of the game in the nets. And then throw it forward two weeks later and Broad is saying quite pointedly in his latest kind of demonstrable masterclass media interview, well, you know, if the batsman can't can't get past 140, there's not much we can do. Now, there is a kind of brutal... Common sense truth to that, but it's also quite a clear challenge to the the brains trust uh, at the top of Eng- top of the
3: English English Test side. So also in, in between those two things, you had Root after Adelaide, was it talking about England's bowlers not bowling the line and length that he wanted, um, which right. you know was was I mean, it wasn't even veiled criticism. It was criticism of of his bowling attack, and and people immediately think Broad and Anderson. So. Yeah, there were signs that... This has been coming. Yeah, this, this has, has been, been coming. coming.
4: It, was it last summer?
3: No, summer before, the, the COVID summer,
4: uh, when Root wasn't skipper and Stokes took over for that game and dropped Broad straight away. And Broad blamed it on Ed Smith. Not that he's, Ed Smith has ever picked the final 11 ever. It was Stokes who pointedly took him, took him aside and said, you're not playing in this game. And then it led to, to Broad's first great media statement, one of many. So there's clearly been uh, a kind of a fracturing in those two very, very powerful uh, power positions at the top of the English game. Um, and Strauss, my guess is that Strauss has come in and said, okay, he's dealt with some, some challenges in his own leadership role with the England side in the past. Uh, rather than let that fester, perhaps he said, we need a break, we need a break for now. Um, my guess, for what it's worth, is that both Anderson and Broad will play Test cricket again. That's Really? Do yeah. you think
1: they'll play yeah. in the summer?
4: I absolutely think that's, that's more than likely. I think, as I've been saying for months and months and months, uh, April is year dot for this England Test side. And so these West Indies games are very important, for sure. But uh, if there needs to be a kind of a, a, breathe, a bit of breathing space after the horrors of what happened in Australia. And if there needs to be a slow reset that can only start really taking place, hastening from the start of next season onwards, then so be it. But I don't think any new coach coming in
3: will be putting a big red line through those two names. No, on on balance, I probably just about... (laughs) Agree with you on that. That Broaden and Anderson will play again, but I don't think we can say that of any confidence. If they do win in the Caribbean and a new coach comes in, to then go back to Broaden and Anderson would would seem like a a backward step, wouldn't it? I think that I think that would make it quite difficult for a new coach to to go back there again. Yeah, do you don't
0: I think mean, does it give them a bit of a clean slate though? Like if if a new coach comes in and the future Broaden and Anderson's obviously been a hot topic for like you know a long period of time having and transition and this is obviously not the ideal way to this and how they've planned it but if a new coach comes in they either have they, they either bring them back in and then they're kind of you know they get an instant kind of good news story and that's like a quite a populist move basically and they might also think it's the right move which it which it, you know probably would be uh but or, or they get to just kind of continue a decision made by a previous regime rather than having to come in and do that thing as like an instant sort of like but like be very ballsy for a new coach doing they might, you know, might not feel you have the power to do that instantly as a new coach. I think the other thing so Root in he talks about having a reset uh during the Ashes, and he's similar to the one after the twenty fifteen World Cup? And I suppose Broad and Anderson were two of the biggest names not to be in that side properly moving forward. Obviously Broad played a couple of games in South Africa after that World Cup, but basically they were out of it. And it was Strauss also who kind of oversaw that regeneration of that side. So I can kind of see how England got there and I think with hindsight you can see the signs that were there but I think I think maybe me and you Phil just see the importance of these West Indies games quite differently like I think England just need to start winning some games of cricket basically and they don't have the quality of player to to not pick their best side available to do that and, and this is a you know one I'm just the... trying to
1: understand it from their point of view yeah yeah really. and, and, um, I was just saying one other thing is that Anderson and Broad haven't been in both in England's best side for a little bit now um I think England see Robinson and Wood as kind of nailed down, but then my next question would be: How bad is their influence really if it affects their But England can score runs. And, is that, and, that, does that actually? They might be a bit annoying. They might not be. And there'll be and bowlers on side.
4: And what I said about Joe Root's captaincy. Now you know, if I think as Ponting said a few days ago, if a if a captain can't deal with his with his fast bowlers, then. He's not really doing his job properly and, and it does throw a lot of shade, I think, on, on on Root's leadership if these two figures, these two complete legends of the game are deemed to be more, let's call it as it is, more trouble than they're worth if they're not in the side. And it's
1: also quite interesting because we've heard a lot coming from previous England assistant coaches, etc., the last few months who've said that, uh, the environment's perhaps been too cosy. And, and what, what's the first thing they've done? They've got the two players, senior players, who've been there, done it, won everything there is to win in Test cricket, getting rid of them because they're a bit too challenging. I mean, I can't really see what, what the other explanation for this is because you both, as we we're all saying, those two are 100% in your best squad if you're picking it just on, on merit.
3: I think Strauss's role here is fascinating as well because he is in this caretaker role. So on the one hand, you know, it's a punchy move for a caretaker to make. On the other, he's kind of got a free hit. He can do this and then sort of disappear. It's quite convenient for Root in that sense. If, if he wants, if he doesn't really want Anderson and Broad to be part of the future of the England Test team, it's sort. I mean, Root is obviously taking some of the flak here, but it's sort of on Strauss. Strauss is the one out there today justifying it to the press. It's quite a kind of convenient way of doing it if 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 it goes to plan, uh, and Strauss if it doesn't go to plan, then well. it's not then it wasn't necessarily Root's call.
4: Strauss has done this before as well, hasn't he? When he's been in this kind of management position. He's put himself in the firing line to try and deflect any grief from the skipper himself. He did it with uh with was it Cook, I think that he was, he was kind of shielding many years ago. And I think that that is quite an interesting approach here. And it remains, as we say, a bit of a mystery whose decision ultimately ultimately this is. Uh you can 't help thinking that this has this has come mainly from root and been legitimized by the boss by strauss by sir andrew who's 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 deemed this this to be the way to go and 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 so so we have to try and get our heads around it it 's baffling, but there is a kind of kernel of common sense kernel of logic behind it as well. Uh, I just want to go back briefly to the to the West Indies thing. These are important Test matches, of, of course they are important Test matches. Um, it was, it's it's just interesting that I can't remember after what, which Test match it was, but I was obviously riled up, sleep deprived, angry, and I was saying, "Start again, yeah, you know, rip it up, tongue and cheek." A lot of them. And then when we came to do pick our the kids, kind of pick the kids. when we came to do our squads a couple of weeks ago, around in this in this setup. And I picked mine, and there were one or two funky ideas, and they're nowhere near as many as actually are in there. Yeah. And so, and, and again, that notion, well, you know, they've dropped the bowlers because the batsmen have failed. They've dropped the batsmen as well, right, folks? You know, they've dropped, they've dropped both their openers. They've dropped the number three, and they've dropped the number six, seven keeper bat as well. So four of their their top seven mm. are gone. Yeah. And probably for quite a while gone. We'll come to that in a minute.
0: Yeah, well, just on, on the Strauss fronting up thing, it's just, it's a refreshing Change as well, given how for so long we've had basically Joe Root having to be the front man for the ECB's kind of mistakes or dodgy decisions. Like he was the one who had to come and explain a lot of the rest and rotation stuff uh, when it wasn't really his decision to sort of. He, he was the one, and Tom Harrison was kind of nowhere to be seen for quite a long time. I mean, he still isn't <laughs> that 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 prominent, but at least we have a uh, a temporary managing director who is putting himself forward and taking some of those questions. And and,
3: and Giles too, who. He, he did do press, but I never felt like he took ownership of anything that was going on, which le- left others looking for fingers to point elsewhere. And yeah, I absolutely agree. I think it's really refreshing. And Root, will, I imagine, will be mightily relieved that he's got someone kind of befitting the role um, alongside him, even if it is just temporary.
1: Yeah, uh, ESPN Cook Invo's Matt Roller tweeted that the selection panel all made their test debuts after James Anderson did. <laughs> so Strauss, Collingwood, James Taylor, Root.
4: If, if this is it, by the way, I mean, what a, what a grim way to go to just be the subject of you know various twitter scandals and you know a podcast the morning after and this is the way two of the all-timers go if this is it if the door truly has been closed now you know they they say you know all great political careers end in failure well it it feels a little bit like that and and while sure roll the cliches out there's no place for sentiment and all the rest of it it does feel jarring to say the least that we might have suddenly Seen two of the greatest, and arguably one the the greatest in Anderson, never play again. If if that is the case, then I'll I'll just remember that spell, that Anderson spell over the winter, six overs, one for one for one for one in six overs, and it could have been three for one. Um, and he just just just
1: it's it's a year to the day since phenomenal. he got Shriman Gill and Rahane Bold at Chennai to win that test match. Um,
0: yeah right at at least their last act together would have been quite sweet you know saving that test match uh the one sort of ray of light in that winter with their sweet conversation in the middle saying don't worry mate i've done this before uh and also you might not do it again but
3: and also that there's been very little drop off i mean no no drop off in the case of anderson Mm. a little bit of a drop off in broad if this is to be the end they basically went out bowling as well as they ever did which not many bowlers can say that
1: yeah kind of like trying to predict what happens I can see England winning the West Indies without playing that well like we I know we always say it's, West Indies is a difficult place to go and, and it is an England's record there is awful but West Indies this is a bad West Indies side they're batting on up is even worse than England's uh, they've really really struggled recently and I can see a not great England side actually winning that series 2-1 but yeah. it, equally um,
0: it's a uh, it, it England have beat have, have failed to beat not very good West Indies side. In, I think this is I think a worse but up. but I but you know Colin Gray's described them as mediocre before, and they, we and we give them uh, they they raise their game when they play that's England. True. Yeah, that's and true. That, and that's what they do. And as much as the batting isn't good, they do have a, a very good bowling attack, mm. and it is a bowling attack that could easily run through England a couple of times. Like it's no given that England will win this, and if and if they lose it, then really I mean I like as much as Joe Root's by rights, his position of captain should be untenable now uh, if there was any viable alternatives. Like, even if there's no viable alternatives, we're lose in the West Indies against a West Indies side about whom all those things you say are correct. Uh, then how can he carry on after that? It's a it's a, it's a brave call. Go on, John. Well,
3: I, was just saying, I, was, I said to Phil yesterday, if, if England do lose in the West Indies, we could have the weirdest England captain that we've we've <laughs> had in my <laughs> living memory. Because we all sat around here and said, well, if it's else. not root, then it's probably broad, even though yeah. that's not the perfect solution. <laughs> Might be
1: burned if he gets a few runs in the West Indies yeah, and he's not exactly. there. <laughs> or it's James Vince comes as
3: his specialist captain, it, it could get quite weird yeah. over the next couple of months. But,
4: Butler had his hat in the ring but obviously won't, yeah. won't ever be in the ring again. So yeah, Rick's I... just
0: dropped all the potential captaincy successes. <laughs> Pretty clever. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Very Johnsonian. Yeah. Well,
1: one thing that's quite interesting, I think that um, Strauss has said, or well, it's been reported that Strauss wants to separate the coaching job between White ball and Red Bull. I wonder if that... Sorry, has he said that? I think it's been reported that he wants to, yeah. Um, I think it's quite interesting from the squad if that's kind of what he wants to do, the playing staff as well. I mean, without, with the exception of Stokes and Wood... Really, and no, no one of on that team gets in the England T20 side and Besto, Sorry. Um, and you know, Milan and, and Butlers' their recent test record is not, they're not egregious. You can, you could, it's could your have... new word, isn't it? You use
4: that every week. It's Do I? good, yeah.
1: Okay, uh, get rid of that then. <laughs> <laughs> we were talking before the squad was announced, that England could have ended up picking a squad that wasn't actually that dissimilar to the Ashes, and they could have just about justified. It. I mean, we pretty much did that when we picked our squad a couple of weeks ago. So I, I wonder if that's something that Strauss is trying to implement as well. Um, well, I mean,
4: look, there's there's cold hard logic to that, isn't there? And, and we've spoken about the split coaches' role a long time for a long time now, and it's obviously staring us in the face.
1: Yeah, um, one we could we could talk about this squad for hours, but one thing I want to talk about briefly is is the. Presence of two pod favourites in the squad, um, Matt Parkinson and Dan Lawrence. I think it's interesting just because of how low in the pecking order they seem quite recently. England are only taking 16 people to West Indies, which which is a smallish squad anyway, particularly so during COVID times. Uh, Dan Lawrence didn't get a game in Australia when the batters weren't getting any runs. Matt Parkinson didn't even get a bowl uh, for the England Lions when they played Australia A. So I guess that's been that's quite interesting that those two guys are there in a reasonably small squad.
0: Yeah, it is. I mean, England have to have a backup spinner, I suppose. And it could be that Matt Parkinson is still that. And, you know, it's it was actually always been quite close between Bess and Parkinson over who plays. I mean, what, back at the start of 2020, Parkinson was in the squad over Bess. And then Bess comes in when Leach is out and then out bowls me the warm So it's actually always been quite tight between those two. So this could be another tight call. And maybe they, want to, they do want to mix up who they take to sit on the bench, basically, in case Leach rolls an ankle, mm. uh, even though... England don't mind not playing a spinner anyway um, but there is the possibility that you know I mean and England haven't trusted Leach overall over this whole stretch of Silverwood's time and you wonder like Silverwood, you mentioned this before we started uh, recording Phil that Silverwood's whole thing has been attritional, was attritional cricket you know, bat big, bowl dry a leggy doesn't really fit into that uh, but Root has in the past I mean as much he doesn't handle his, his, there's been question about how he handles his spinners uh, Adil Rashid was a key part of the high point really of the Juru era which was that win against India at home and then the win against Sri Lanka away um, and he and in that Sri Lanka series especially Root was a captain who almost captained like he batted uh, in that he would find ways to sort of problem solve a situation in front of him and adapt his game a little bit and that sort of thing and that's what the bowlers that they all kind of dovetailed he had different bowls for different times and that's what worked and if and that's where leggy really comes in. They're not in the game the whole time, but they do uh, they do allow you to get something out of nothing to throw the ball to when nothing else is going on. And it gives you an attack with lots of different I, I guess
4: the problem with it, and you're absolutely right, and it's a good point on Rashid, he had the protection of being alongside Moeen and probably in Moeen's slipstream. Obviously, if Parkinson were to come into the side, then... More than likely, he'd come in as the sole spinner. It's hard to see them playing playing both, although you never know in the West Indies. Uh, but that then becomes an immensely challenging role for you know what re- still remains a rookie leg spinner who's not played a massive amount of red ball cricket.
3: Although Root's improvements as a as a Test bowler might help Parkinson's case in that regard. If you yeah, see Root, yeah. Root can get through quite a few overs these
4: yeah. days, so he's skipper, revolutionary, <laughs> batting three. Kingmaker, Batting three, and yeah. premier offspinner as well. Good luck to him. Yeah,
1: um, we've got. It's, it's pretty much a month, exactly a month till the Test series starts. So there's plenty of time to talk about some of the other names in that group. Um, but as I mentioned at the top, loads of stuff's happened at the ECB in the last week. All change really. Uh, Chris Silverwood has left his coach. Normally we'd we'd, we'd start a, uh, a show with that news, but Chris Silverwood has left his role. Um, as England's men's head coach, uh, Ashley Giles is no longer the director of men's cricket, and Graham Thorpe is no longer part of the England coaching setup either. Paul Collingwood has been named as the interim head coach and we've had a few questions on coaching. Um, Stu asked, given the recent exodus of the more laid-back style of the Silverwood era within the England camp, juxtaposed to the exit of Justin Langer from the Australia team for, in essence, the stylistic opposite, what do you believe is the right track England need right now to go down with the picking of their new full-time coaching uh, staff? Discuss. Phil, you wrote a piece on this on wisdom.com. You basically called for a, a gnarly old bastard to be England's head coach. <laughs>
4: Yeah there there was a there was a hole on the website on a Friday afternoon so I thought I'd fill it. Um yeah look it's been quite a tricky time for coaches obviously we'll come to the Justin Langer saga in due course but it seems it seems you're either kind of pigeonholed as, as too intense by half and therefore kind of threatening and suffocating the creativity of the individuals and the expressiveness of the individuals or you're too soft and avuncular and you you let them get away with too much um what i really want to see what i what i think this particular england side has been crying out for is a really technically minded batting specialist head coach anyone I, you've I, spoken to recently I, that fits the I, bill? It, <laughs> it could be it could be him it could be kirsten for sure but it could be somebody else it could be ricky ponding it could be justin langer it could be any number of, of names, um, but I think what's been lacking has been a little bit of technical clarity, a lot of technical clarity with a lot of players. And it seems that every batter bar, bar Root and a push Stokes, but even that jury's sort of out really, have gone backwards. Every single one that's come into the England setup has gone backwards. Now, sure, they had a head batting coach in Graham Thorpe, who sort of, smoked his way out of that setup as well. Uh, but much of it comes from the head coach as well I think and and Silverwood for all his his qualities and his and he was very popular among the players and he's my god he worked incredibly hard selflessly in 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 a job that you wouldn't wish on your worst enemy at certain times when you're living out of a suitcase for 300 days a year. Um, but he was not and never will be a batting specialist. Uh, and this is the the glaring problem that we have with young players who are coming in with an overload of information uh, and it creates a kind of paralysis I think of, of the mind and you see it with certain players we don't need to let, to name them because we, we all know who they are and they know themselves uh, Duncan Fletcher's star continues to rise and it, the Duncan Fletcher era is almost kind of mythic and what he did famously is make good players better and what we've seen, unfortunately, with the coaching set up for the last two years around the England side is that good players or possibly good players or possibly mediocre players have got worse. Uh, uh, and that, to me, rather than the specific personnel, it's what they bring, what kind of expertise they bring that's important to me.
1: Yeah, however good you think they are, the got worse bit is undeniable. Um, Joe, we had another question on coaches. Uh, Freddie asks, firstly, I love the podcast and listen to it religiously. Three. It balances news and analysis superbly and is always balanced right, and steady. fair. Well, not sure about that. Uh, my question is, who would be your top three picks for the new England head coach? Uh, and if you believe that the role should be split between Test and White Ball, who are your three, top three picks for that? So six coaches, please, Joe. Um, just one or two names that stand out for you.
3: Uh, well, first up, I, I do think it should be uh, split coaches. I think we've kind of all maybe got to that point over recent months. Um, which is quite interesting in itself because that pot- potentially determines the types of personality you want in those roles. So for instance, it's hard to talk about stuff without moving on to Justin Langer because Nick Hockley, Cricket Australia's CEO, said uh, Australia were evolving to the next phase of a more shared leadership model. Now, read between the lines, <laughs> Langer's a control freak and wants to do it all. I think you can get to that point without jumping too far. So therefore, is Langer really... The sort of character who should be coaching the Test side when he won't be doing the whole lot when there is likely to be someone doing the white ball side. I would say no. I'll be shocked if it's Langer. I'll be amazed. There's, if it's there's quite there's sort of um I was thinking the other day it's Mourinho to Spurs vibes and that there's like about five percent never of you happened. Thinking like maybe it's genius, but the. Overwhelming feeling is that's going to be a disaster.
1: It would be really funny. It would be. It would be funny, but I just think it's
4: implausible. (laughs) Look, you can have my badge if Langer ends up as England's next next full time coach. Anyway,
3: sorry to come around back to the question. So on that basis, I would my my test coach would be someone who just wants to do the test team, hasn't got an interest in doing the whole lot, Mm. which could be Gary Kirsten or it could be Ricky Ponting. Those would be the two outstanding candidates uh kirsten clearly wants the job uh, as he's told phil and as phil has relayed to the world and, and that backfired as well apparently <laughs> not oh, i'd God. say you want a job now can't do anything these days yeah. i did think it wasn't necessarily the smartest way of going from him not not you you're just doing your job Phil. <laughs> uh, can i just clarify
4: that that situation by the way because i, I know that it, he did get some grief for that and i know that he spoke to somebody else as well so it wasn't just via me but but it was just after Christmas, and he was on vacation with his family, and he was fishing. And we'd had a chat a few weeks beforehand about this, that, and the other. And I said, "You fancy a chat?" And he said, "Yeah, okay." So we had a chat, and naturally, we spoke about English cricket as well as speaking about other stuff. And he just said, "Yeah, I'd be a part of the conversation if the conversation ever came round." And then it, it then it ends up on Sky, and then it and then it becomes. Kirsten gunning for Silverwood while well, Silverwood's poorly with COVID and so on and so on. It wasn't that set up. Yeah. And if I did end up setting him up like that, then I didn't kind of mean to really. Uh, so he, he certainly wasn't gunning. He certainly wasn't seeking out the media he had also to try given and a, position himself. He
3: had also given another interview to the Independent that hadn't he? Sure. He, he, so, he, I'm he, just
4: saying from from, from my it wasn't, my perspective. I'm just, it wasn't, yeah,
3: sure. All. But it wasn't coaxed out of him exactly.
4: Like he was... he. <laughs> But, in, but, but in again, he, he, didn't, he didn't say I want the England job either he just said you know I've been a part of the conversations before and i would be a part of the conversations again the,
0: the other thing is sorry just he, he also just answers questions directly which I think you should like, I know. It, it was weird the amount of the, amount of is, the, the journalists job. were like oh, you, you can't, you can't <laughs> be doing that you should uh, and, and it's similar with Pat Cummins actually people were saying Pat Cummins should have backed Justin Langer like if he doesn't Want Justin Langer to remain his head coach? Why should he be backing Justin Langer? So, so I remember with with Kirsten when he was head coach of Welsh Fire uh, in the hundred, and he just sort of accidentally broke that Bairstow had been recalled to the Test team because he was like doing a thing. He was like, "Yeah." And we've heard that Bears is getting a Test call up, so got to deal with that as well. And everyone's was like, "Oh my god!" And it's like because he's just uh, been asked a question about it's the just a grown, got. Up. And, a yeah, grown up, and yeah, he gets asked questions. The answer, them, and that is surely what, what we should all be hoping we I can. do That's what sensibly. the ECB fear more than anything. Think, yeah. So that's probably
3: why he's not going to get the should I do my rest of my coaches? Yes, go yeah. for it. Uh, and then white ball, my dream pick would be Jai Wardner. I think that would be... Great. I mean, imagine Ponting and Jai Wardner oh, as yeah. You. I don't dude. know if have got the cash for this. Yeah. But anyway, that's the thing as well. I'll trip in. Um, yeah. And um, perhaps more realistically, I'd, I'd be comfortable with Collingwood doing that, doing that job. Um, we don't need to reset the white ball set up. He's been part of it for a while. He's captained T T20 World Cup winning side. So I think that would be a, a fair pick as well.
4: Graham Ford is an interesting option. Massively well-respected within the game. Batting specialist, again, he's, he's coached at international level. Um, his name has kind of been on the margins of the conversations, but he would be an interesting option as a test specialist. Peterson says he's the best
0: coach he's ever worked under. Yeah, you know, so that's probably put a line through his name <laughs> as well. <laughs> and he, P- knocking them off. Uh, Peterson won't do it unless county cricket is completely restructured. <laughs> so, uh,
4: <laughs> only counties from the second half of the alphabet or else you're done. Um, okay, oh, th-
1: There'll be a lot of people looking at all the change that's taken place very quickly at the ECB, and look at one very senior person who- who's still there. Um, who are you talking about? Yes, Tom Harrison, <laughs> uh, the great survivor in the cricket. He's still CEO after seven years at the helm, and we- we've talked about the on-field stuff to death. But also, cricket had another DCMS hearing this week that-, that wasn't great, and he's overseen the game's long-standing negligence in tackling difficult off-field issues and I think a lot of people will be wondering <laughs> when is, when is he going to go I don't really want to have a long conversation about that but it does seem just very bizarre everyone leaving in a very short period of time and the guy in charge is that is not exactly
3: there. why he is still there though what because so many because everyone else is going I mean yeah I mean probably there isn't, there isn't probably. even a chairman at the moment is there yeah
1: it's quite interesting seeing Strauss come in and he's I know he's only doing the job on an interim basis but how different he is to Giles and I think all the these kind of jobs it's very hard to be qualified for them because what other jobs really exist like them? I mean, Tom Harrison, by all accounts, is a very decent guy, but he he was a he was worked in the commercial department for the ECB in his 30s, and then worked in selling sports rights, and now he's the CEO of English cricket. I mean, how do those jobs? adequately prepare him for what he's doing now? Yeah, sure. And same and, with Giles, and like Giles seems like a again very good guy who's done a lot of good in English cricket off the field as well as on it. What prepares you for that job to so making those difficult decisions? There's no job in English cricket like it. I think it's very hard to recruit for those two big, big roles. Yeah,
4: and also if, you, if you're talking about decency and being a good clubbable bloke, then you have to also be judged by what you're prepared to take out of the game. And Tom Harrison, as we know, has, is about to receive a large chunk of 2.1 million quid as a bonus for services rendered for him and another handful of executives at the top of the ECB. Um, this is not just a bunch of journalists sitting around a table kicking off. I've spoken to people at the ECB who are just as appalled by that by that move from their bosses as people uh, outside of those walls. Uh, and and if we're looking at his legacy when he does go, and I think that he will he'll be gone at some point this year, from what we've read and heard, um, I think that will always be a huge huge black mark against against his his time his tenure in in charge.
1: Mm. Um, moving on uh, the women's Ashes series ended this week as well with Australia taking all three of the ODIs uh, which meant they took the overall multi-format series 12 Uh the scoreline was very one-sided but I guess had the either the test room the first ODI gone the other way the series could have felt very different at the end um, the, that first ODI was a killer Australia were restricted to 205 and England fell 27 short England falling to 10-2 for two and then 37-3 for three in what could have been a reasonably manageable run chase. Um, ben, a pretty frustrating series for England. The World Cup's around the corner, so they've got that to look forward to. But just seeing some players who who do really well against basically everyone else other than Australia, Amy Jones, I guess, being the the main example. She averages less than 10 against Australia in both T20i and ODI cricket. She's much better that as a player. Lauren Rinfield hill averages less than 15 against Australia in both white ball formats. Danny Wyatt averages less than 13 against Australia in ODI cricket. It's it was quite difficult to beat as size good as Australia if you've got three of your top six, six or seven with numbers like that.
0: Yeah, and I guess that's the the thing about how close was this series. Actually, in 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 the end, I think it's a reasonably fair reflection. England did get close in the Test match and close in the first ODI. But the thing about this Australia team is that when you get close, and they still are able to keep you at arm's length. Basically, they uh, they have that kind of that that grit as well as being dominant in most games. They now have the know how that when teams get close, they uh, they yeah, they keep they keep them at bay basically and that and that's especially it was interesting because this was two England almost chased what? Two sixty all in the test and then almost chased two hundred in the ODI and both times falling just short and that kind of uh like shows there's like a there's just a almost like a psychological thing, which is very common when England face Australia and with how good the Australia side are, that makes sense, especially when after England lost the first T twenty and then draw the next or the next two are reigned off and then they have to win the series to retain the ash to regain the ashes you're always playing catch up and massively so like each clutch clutch moment feels even more important and then that's what you see happening i guess um
4: there's a psychological thing at play isn't there clearly you know they are so kind of bruised by experiences against australia over the last few years and and that that test match just you know looking at it now in retrospect that test match destroyed them really and you know for all the plaudits that the game had and received, those 11 players would have walked away from that test match thinking, right, that was it. That was our moment. That was our moment to do something quite extraordinary. And if they'd done that, then that run chase in the first ODI becomes suddenly a very different proposition. But as it is, it's, it's, a kind of, it's, it's, it's an embedded belief or embedded shaky lack of belief, I suppose, you know, that's very hard to shake until you actually start winning a few.
1: Australia's ODI dominance is just absurd. They've won 29 of their last 30 completed ODIs. Um, And Joe, we were talking about this yesterday. I kind of think, ominously for the rest of the world, I feel the gap between... Their young players and other teams' young players is actually larger than it possibly is anywhere else. I mean, Darcy Brown's 18. She took a fourth from the first ODI. Annabelle Sutherland's 20. She took a fourth from the third ODI. Stella Campbell's another highly rated quick. She's played a couple of internationals recently. She's 19. Uh, Phoebe Litchfield's 18, and she was the top-run scorer in two of the three games in the Australia A-England A series. Is she the lefty from the, the Nets? Yeah, so there's that viral video of her, I think as a 15 or 16-year-old, just whacking day. it. Um and yeah, so she's in the Australia A setup now and probably will play for Australia quite soon. It feels like that's actually the age bracket where they look like they're, they're, they're going further away from people.
3: Well, it, well it is. And then also you go slightly older to Tarlene Maguire at 26, who's taken a little while to come through and now looks like an absolute gun player. And yeah. Doing a little thing on her for the magazine yesterday. I think she scored... 177 runs from, I think it's 133 balls without being dismissed in the last three T20s (laughs) and being named player of the match of all of them. So we see Perry fading, perhaps, certainly with the ball and McGrath looks absolutely ready to step in. When I spoke to Lisa Cartley a few months ago, she was really excited about England closing the gap on Australia, but I think she was talking bigger picture stuff, really. Um, Structurally, the number of professionals coming through. And I, I do think in three, five years... England will have closed that gap a, a bit, even though there is that talent coming through in Australia, because I think there will be in England as well. I think we've only had one hundred so far, and that has already had a big impact on the on the talent pool. But to expect them to come into an Ashes series and just suddenly do it, I think is is a bit much a lot of those young Australians that you talked about, even the really young ones, have played two or three years of Big Bash and it makes a it makes a huge difference. I think, you know, there was there's definitely a psychological thing with England playing Australia but I think Australia are just a better side, really. I thought the T20s were a chance, slightly because they're just a bit more of a lottery, but I think a 3-0 ODI win for Australia was always on the cards, really, because they just don't lose, just don't really lose, ever. Yeah,
1: (laughs) and and I guess the the, the results England are going to have over the next uh, year or two, a reflection on... The previous system only had fifteen to twenty professionals, rather than the current system. Right, you're not going to as soon as you increase the number of professionals. That's not going to lead to a change in results in the national side straight away. Also, um,
3: you've seen um, England's first game in the World Cup. It's Australia. Australia. Okay. Great. And then they've got West Indies, then South Africa. So it's one group of eight, top four going through to semi-finals, um, which I really like as a format actually. Um, but I, I mean, I do think England will make the semi-finals. But you know, if they lose to Australia, South Africa, are a really good side, I think they'll make the semis. Uh, even without Danny Dan Van Niekerk, England might not have it all their own way in that group stage. Um, it's a tricky fixture schedule they've got. So, um, they'll, yeah, they need to start quickly and, and get over the Ashes defeat. Um, M- meanwhile, Saurav
4: Ganguly, boss of the BCCI, was asked about a women's IPL expansion um, in line with the men's. Uh, and he said, basically, we need more people playing the game um this in a country with 1.3 billion people of which 51% are women so it's hard to make the case that there's not enough interest and of course any overseas player worth their salt would be gravitating to it to any IPL tournament as well so look it's it's great to see australia's putting the bar so high uh, and it's it promises good things for the women's game in the next 5 10 15 years but getting other teams up to that level especially when you have head in the sand ignorance such as that uh, it becomes a long-term challenge, really, for the game.
1: Yeah, Sarah Warris wrote a really good piece on Wisdom.com dot com about Ganguly's comments, kind of looking at what Ganguly said over quite a long period of time. So, uh, not that long ago, he was on a uh, talk show in India, and somebody asked him, uh, "What would you say if your daughter wanted to play professional cricket?" And, she, and he basically laughed it off, saying, "I'd say, don't." Right. Um, and then, kind of, she examines kind of how ridiculous his claim is. There aren't enough cricketers in India. So, for example, India—I can't remember the number at the top of my head—but they've used quite a big pool of players in quite a short period of time in international cricket. So, to expand that to what would be an IPL, and they—you they don't actually need that many more players once you factor in the overseas.
0: And they have eight team senior competitions that play that just aren't called the Women's IPL. They play over fifty-over cricket and twenty-over cricket, and those are also of a good standard. And I guess the the, the, the counterpoint is if if Ganguly's right, uh, given he is the person in, like, if he's right, and there are enough women's professional players or of that standard and he is the person in charge of cricket in India why is he not doing every single thing in his power because that is a completely dire situation for cricket in the country and the fact that he sees it as like a sort of a thing that he can just kind of like let slowly increase to the to to, to the point where there are 70 good players it just is a damning indictment of uh of his of his position I think
3: and also one thing necessarily triggers the other right if there's not enough players mm-hmm. of quality then the women's IPA will, will create that by it being in existence. I mean, it's, it's a nonsense point,
0: really. It's just a massive open goal, especially when you look at how, you know, uh, how much demand there is for these competitions. I mean, the WBBL uh, final had more spectators this year than the BBL final had. Um, like, there was that piece of research that came out yesterday about how uh, how many viewers there were of the women's 100. And I think it was uh, was it was, it, I think maybe 25% of them didn't watch any men's cricket that year that watched some of the women's 100. And that is, that's a... Uh, it's a massive show of faith and a, a de- demonstration of, of marketability, and the Women's IPL would be that and tenfold more. Like it's a, it's a, it's a proposition that makes business sense as well as being just the right thing to do to advance women's cricket in the country.
4: Yeah, I was just looking that up actually when you were you were coming to that point. And so uh, this is a Guardian story from earlier in the week of the 4.9 million new viewers of the hundred. 71% had gone on to watch other women's sport with tennis and football, the biggest beneficiaries. Meanwhile, as, as Ben says, 25% of those who watched the Women's 100 or England Women's Cricket did not watch any men's cricket in 2021. So this is a product, such a crap word as well, forget it. This is a great thing uh, that sits alone, sits distinct from, from the rest of it as, a, as, as an attractive, seductive piece of sporting theatre on its own terms. Uh, and look, at the risk of coming back to the Harrison thing, for all that his legacy is pockmarked, uh, this is one area where the ECB do deserve not to be chucked in the stocks. They are, they have been, they have helped create something that is hopefully lasting and significant. Mm. I guess,
0: although even there, the big. The- <laughs> The, the yeah. vision had gone down that road. The, well, the, <laughs> like the, one of the big successes of the 100 last year was the double headers, which came about essentially by accident because of uh COVID and sort of wanting to save on a, a few sort of a managing. Oh, costs. yeah, yeah, sure. And, and and also this year, I think I don't think enough criticism has been made of the decision to cut the women's 100 because of the Commonwealth Games. I mean, sure, that makes a slight scheduling snafu, but it's like considering the amount of cricket they get the men to play like all day, every day, the fact that like the idea they couldn't have squeezed in. Eight more women's games at some point over the three weeks after the Commonwealth Games, or like just that, there that, that, that would have been a way around that if the will and the desire had been there, and it kind of seems like it just wasn't. Mm. Um, fair point. Moving on,
1: uh, India are the under 19 World Cup winners for the fifth time in the history after beating England by four wickets in the final. Uh, no other team has won the competition more than three times. Um, I watched the whole thing to be honest, it's quite a frustrating watch. England were always up against it after losing a couple of early wickets uh, before Somerset's James Rue, who's I think second cousins with Dan Lawrence, um, scored 95 (laughs) to give England a chance. Get him Um, in. He wears wears number 55 on his back, as does Ben Stokes. And for a while, it looked like another left-handed number 55 would uh, save England in a World Cup final, but it wasn't to be. Uh, Raj Bauer, a uh, seam bowling all-rounder, took a fiver for India. Um, But I think the person who impressed me most was... India's left-arm opener, Ravi Kumar, who got rid of Jacob Bethel, swung it both ways, basically. away, away in LBW. And that was pretty much the game there. Yeah, it was a um, shame,
3: wasn't it? You thought if England were going to have a chance, it needed something special from Bethel, who's obviously the, the the gun player in that side. So when he went early, it was just a bit like, yeah. I mean, obviously, India at under 19 level were probably even, even stronger than they are <laughs> at um, senior level. Yeah.
1: And I, and I guess like England, they, they were kind of in it when they were defending... Their total it was like 190 odd, but, it, but they just weren't really attacking enough. There was a long period of time where the spinners were running really well; it wasn't a slip in. And a couple of times, ball went went uh, through the slip area, and obviously didn't get any wickets. And VVS Laxman, who's I think heads the Indian uh, Academy, he's not the under-19 coach, but he heads kind of the, the national youth setup. He gave a lot of credit to the selectors because there's been very little cricket played by these guys before the tournament. So normally. Under-19 players would have played a fair bit of Ranji Trophy before they play for the under-19s, but I think only one or two of them have played any first-team cricket in India, so they've actually done quite well to, to pick the 15 best players, um, which I guess is quite interesting. Uh, Joe, what's your what's your moment of the week?
3: Yeah, it just came out of that under-19 World Cup. A um, really interesting story, developing story, which I first saw reported on ESPN Cricket Info by uh, Nagraj Golapudi. Um, so... Afghanistan returning home from the Under-19 World Cup had a stopover at London Heathrow and four members of their tour party, which is one player and three board members, all of which are yet to be named, didn't get on the second leg of that flight. Uh, CricketInfo reported that it appeared they were going to seek asylum in the UK, with the Taliban obviously having seized power in Afghanistan last year uh, and lots of people leaving the country uh, for fear of their lives. And the Afghanistan Cricket Board have subsequently confirmed that was the case, that they are seeking asylum um afghanistan's head coach uh rais Ahmadzai uh has said he'd messaged the quartet telling them to return says he feels saying he felt they would feel forever guilty if they don't um interestingly this has happened previously in 2009 uh, after under 19 world cup qualifiers in toronto two afghan players uh a few i think i'm not sure how many but a few afghan players stayed behind two actually went on to represent canada but on this one, it throws up loads of very interesting questions. Um, will, I mean, obviously, Afghan cricketers travel the world now, playing in franchises around the world. Will other players opt to do the same in future? Is this is this a route out of a, of a country which is obviously in huge crisis under a terrible regime? Is this something that might appeal to other players in, in future? If so, what will the Taliban do about it? Does this potentially have an impact on Afghanistan tours in, in future? Will they try and prevent them? Or do they not care? Um, they obviously, don't they're not big fans of cricket. Um, they've obviously got rid of the women's side already. Um, and then I guess most immediately, what are the UK government going to do about this quartet? Um, these four people are seeking asylum. Um, UK government have sent people home to Afghanistan and Yemen in recent months, despite Foreign Office advice being that you shouldn't do that. They've just gone and done it anyway. You'd think with a relatively high profile case like this the Quartet would probably be allowed today, but but we'll have to see. Uh I just think it's it's a fascinating story with lots of different strands to it. Um, and it'll be really interesting to see how it kind of develops over the next couple of weeks.
1: And a timely reminder that although we see Afghanistan players play all over the world and their national team playing World Cups, so it is still pretty grim back home. Absolutely, too. yeah. Um, as we mentioned a couple of times in the show already, Justin Langer has ended six months of speculation over his role with the Australian men's cricket team by resigning his head coach. Uh, Ricky Ponting has labelled the treatment of his ex-teammate as embarrassing. Um, long story short, Langer was offered a six-month contract extension, which he rejected. Uh, his last two acts as head coach were to win the T20 World Cup and beat England 4-0. In the ashes, Ponting said, It's been a really poor six months with the way Cricket Australia have handled some of the better people in Australian cricket, those being Justin Langer and Tim Payne. I think it's been almost embarrassing the way they handled those two cases. Today, Pat Cummins released a statement paying respect to Langer, but also kind of explaining why the players had uh, voiced their concerns about Langer staying on, saying that it wasn't the intensity, um, that wasn't the issue, but rather the players, in order to get better, needed a new style of coaching. And that was the feedback given to Cook Australia. There's a nice line at the end about former players who've been giving Cummins a bit of stick recently. To all past players, I want to say this, just as you have always stuck up for your mates, I'm sticking up for mine. That, um, is, that
4: is a line that bears repeating. <laughs> An extraordinary... Uh, kind of sign off flourish really by by a bloke who we kind of wondered what sort of leader he would be if indeed he is a real leader or if he's just a kind of stopgap you know like front man if you like but yeah. no he's, I mean he's growing
3: is, into it isn't he <laughs> my god has he? This Sa- is... saving the planet and getting Justin Langer sacked all, yeah, I mean, <laughs> all in a week
1: yeah i mean all in a week it's to be quite a strange sequence of events like there was more energy among the Australian camp to get rid of their coach and England to get rid of theirs off the ashes.
4: Yeah, indeed. It's upheaval on both sides, really. Uh, but that line from from Cummins, that has just put a big full stop, isn't it? An underline there just saying, look, this is, this is done now, folks. This is my team. This is where I'm going from here on in. Thank you, JL. Great man, legend of the game. But, you know, this is my lot now. Is there a
1: part of you that thinks that Players shouldn't really be able to do this. Being like, we've we've just won two massive tournaments, uh, and and now we want a new style of coaching. I I think if you take if you look at
4: cricket historically, then yeah, it begins and finishes with a captain of of a side, and a coach is an addendum to that captain. Um, obviously, the power balance has changed in in, in over the years, uh, but. If you are a captain, if you are running that thing, the buck stops with you entirely. You are still the boss, ultimately. Uh, no one's going to go around and say to say, Heather Knight, you know, you're not the boss, or Joe Root, you're not the boss. And the same has to apply now with a new, a new captain coming into it to so Australian cricket. And if you look as well through the lineage of Australian captains, you imagine Ian Chappell bowing down to a coach, or Greg Chappell, or Ponting himself. Um, who had John Buchanan kind of, you know, with, with the bibs and the cones in, very much in the background. So it, 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 it surprises me for the, the frankness uh, and the bluntness and the kind of the showy, showy element to it as well. I mean, just by again, just as you've always stuck up for your mates, I'm sticking up for mine. You know, I think that is a powerful piece of, piece of work right there. And, and I admire it. I kind of wish that, that, that our skipper, three or four years into the job, would be slightly more demonstrable as well, you know? The, 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 fascinating thing,
3: the fascinating thing for me is Cricket Australia's role in this. It's, I don't find it that surprising that Cummins and the Australian players might want to get rid of Justin Langer having watched that documentary. Um, the interesting thing is that the board have allowed it to happen. Now, cricket boards around the world can talk about spreading the game, diversity, inclusion, all the words that, that Tom Harrison says uh, ad nauseum. But bottom line is they want to win stuff. They want to win games that basically takes the pressure off you the other things while they might still exist in the backgrounds aren't amplified in the same way so Australia have have done exactly what they wanted to do they've won a world cup and the ashes and cricket Australia still said all right Pat we'll get rid of the coach for you which you know Cummins wasn't going to stand down as Australia captain if Langer Langer was allowed to stay on they offered him a six-month contract it wasn't like it was so toxic they had to get rid of him and yet they have still kind of rolled over and said yes, which, you know, in the long run might be the right decision. Maybe it's a story of player power, really. It's a story of modern player power and the authority that players now wield. And see, captains, particularly in Australia, have always had such a kind of um, an awe around them. But this is obviously like a squad decision. I think that's quite interesting in itself.
0: Well, I guess the thing is, like, you need to have a functioning coach player relationship and coaches are replaceable and players aren't really you know you, you can't replace Pat Cummins there are like enough is it not high level coaches would you say it is functioning well I mean I mean, if, according to the players it's 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 not functioning as well as it could be I guess and I guess the other thing is if you take Langer's uh, regime as a whole across the four years I don't think the results have been that good or even good, really. I mean... So we, we had a
1: question on this and I'll get you to answer it. Um, Johnny asks, is Justin Langer, A, a phenomenal coach who led Australia to a T20 title against all odds, thrashed England in in Australia and was the first coach not to lose the ashes in England since 2001, all while bringing through the next generation of talent in Lavashane, Head and Green, or B, an extremely lucky coach who had an all-time great bowling attack and two generational batsmen who threw away an Ashes series win in England, saw Australia's white ball game drop off, overseeing a a, a lost series against a second-string India side... Uh, got lucky at the T20 World Cup and came up against a historically bad England in the last Ashes, all while being so difficult to get on with. The players wanted to get rid of him even after winning the Ashes and the World Cup. No nuance, please. <laughs> this is sport, so it can only be one of those extremes. Ben, which is it, A or B? Yeah, well, I th- that's I th- a great <laughs> question. <laughs> Co-
0: clo- closer to the last than the former, definitely. I'm, I mean, if you're picking out successes of the Langer regime, I guess you'd, you'd go to the 2019 Ashes and you would go to the T20 World Cup. That, I mean, the, 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 there was, but there are elements of. Fortune and circumstance in both. I mean, that 2019 Ashes, uh, they firstly, they didn't win it. It was a two-all draw and they haven't won an away series since, what, 2016, I think. Um, uh, and, the, you know, part of that's not Langer's fault. And what's weird as well is that he's had this long reign as coach, but Australia haven't even played that much cricket. I think I worked out that Pope has played in more tests than Langer has coached in. Which seems weird because we think of Pope as just kind of still a slight babe of the England Test team. I can make um, any point
3: about what's happening Test cricket by how many <laughs> Test matches Ollie Pope has played. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: but so so they had that the Ashes win and the T Twenty World Cup win. But again, you know they 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 won all their tosses, and it's a, it's a for, it's a format where you do get sort of uh, freak results and uh, and you know and, and things can kind of happen and fortune can play its part. And the the so toss, B. You say? You're saying B, yeah, and well, that that loss to India last year that should really have been like, in my opinion, tenure ending for both Tim Payne and Justin Langer. I mean that that it's an Australia team. They had with- a chance, didn't they? You're right.
4: They had a chance a year ago to stage manage it respectfully, so everyone could break with a degree of dignity. Uh, as it looks, like they've allowed that kind of toxicity to fester a little bit, mm. and now it's exploded. Well, in, they weren't expecting... It on the back of a 4 new Ashes. Well, yeah. they, and
3: they, well, they weren't expecting to win the T20 World Cup, were they? I think this has no. created an issue. The Ashes was like a given, really. The T20 World Cup complicated matters, because like, well, God, now he's basically done the double.
0: <laughs> but if you look at how good the Australia team should be on paper, like, they have arguably, well, six Australia greats, uh, one who is well on his way to becoming one and two all-time greats in their team and it's not as if the supporting cast, sorry, yeah, the supporting cast are that bad either In like Head, Kowaja, Green and a, a keeper who's always like been capable. That's a team that should be smashing everyone at home and competing pretty decently and winning series away. They have like been fallible at home and haven't won away for absolutely ages so that's not yeah, a in, particularly in, glittering test record I think. In fairness, they've not really played that no, much that's, away from home that's on Newt Langer yeah, but, but yeah. Um, and, and,
4: and, we were mentioned in his resignation speech, and, and yet it still up. wasn't I was a, enough I was about to, to overturn bring this up. Yeah.
3: Cricket Australia's decision. Did Pat Cummins know that Wisdom made him coach of the year, though? Maybe that <laughs> m- have might done. have swung it.
1: Well, it I'll was top, really top not, of the ABC really not. News, no? <laughs> um, not, not only were Pat Cummins and co. allegedly taking action against their head coach, but they've also been taking action against the ever-looming climate crisis, setting up the initiative Cricket for Climate. I talked to Tanya Aldridge about the initiative and cricket's relationship with climate change. Last week, Pat Cummins, writing in The Guardian, announced that he, alongside a long list of uh, big names from Australian cricket, are setting up a new initiative, Cricket for Climate, that aims to take cricket in Australia down to net zero. Um, Tanya, great to have you on the show. Uh, we've not really talked about the climate emergency before and how it affects cricket specifically on the podcast. Um, this isn't something that's theoretical, right? Or in the in the distant future, we've seen extreme weather events impacting cricket already. And is it is it right to say that some cricket playing nations are particularly vulnerable to climate change.
5: Yeah, that's right. I mean, I think that's one of the, I mean, obviously cricket, cricket is vulnerable because, because we're all vulnerable, right. But one of the reasons it's, it's particularly vulnerable is just where it's played. You could pull out a million different statistics, but of the, the 10 countries at the highest risk of multiple climate hazards, you know, three of them are Bangladesh, India, and Pakistan, and those kind of statistics just repeat themselves and cities that have got very high pollution levels like Delhi, Lahore, Karachi, Dhaka and then you've got water shortages in various places of the world. Obviously there was the day zero situation in South Africa a few years ago when they actually thought they were going to run out of water in Cape Town and there will be water shortages in Pakistan. Yeah basically you can kind of go down through the cricket playing countries and even places like the UK which you'd think would be a fairly resilient compared to other countries, you know, we've had flooding. I think it was £3.5 million worth of um, flooding during the high winds a few years ago. So it is very vulnerable.
1: So what was your reaction, initial reaction to seeing that story from Cummins and, yeah, kind of a who's who of big names currently playing cricket in both the men's and women's game in Australia?
5: Yeah, I thought it was fantastic, actually. I, th- I think these conversations have been happening in kind of little pockets. I know that the England women's team have talked about this and they've had um, the ECBs, sustainability manager to talk to them um, and people, some of them have changed their diets. And then there's Joe Cook over at Glamorgan who I know's done, I think he's spoken to the PCA and he's very involved and has been working with Glamorgan on their kind of sustainability program, I suppose. But yes, to see Pat Cummins um, and all those other big names, like you say, it's kind of like a who's who of Australian grades really at the moment. I think sports... People worry when they speak out about things like climate because people can always call them hypocrites and say, it's all right for you, you know, you're jetting around the world twelve times a year, you know, and here you are lecturing us not to eat so much chicken or whatever. So I think it is quite a brave thing to do. But I know that he come in, signed a letter written by David Pocock, a Wallabies ex-wallabies player sort of last year or a couple of years ago. So I think it's been on his mind for a while.
1: So yeah, kind of as, as you say, a lot of people's reaction to what Cummins has said will be that hang on, cricketers fly all over the place and flying's really bad for the environment and whilst eating meat is not great for the environment, flying flying is worse. What is what what is your reaction to people who say, But hang on, they they fly all over the world, etc. And flying's really bad?
5: To go back to what you said before, I think what they were very keen on is that they were wanted to do stuff rather than just say stuff. I think I'm right in saying this, that they are putting their hands in their own pockets and what they want to do is install solar. Their kind of first thing is they want to install solar panels on local cricket clubs throughout Australia. You know, Australia is just perfect for solar panels. You've got free energy, basically. So I think that's what they wanted to start by doing. It's the charges of hypocrisy. I suppose we're all hypocrites, aren't we? We ha- Unless we're kind of living in a, in a cave with no no possessions we're all hypocrites one way or other depending on you know maybe we've had you've got a big car or you've had three children who eat loads of meat or whatever it is so I suppose they are trying to reduce their own footprint whilst being professional cricketers so unless if, if you say that you can only start taking climate action when you're perfect then no one's going to do anything so I think by looking at your own carbon footprint in your own situation i think that's a brilliant thing to do i think it's going to be complicated for them because as as soon as you you if you reduce your footprint as much as you can then you get to offsetting and offsetting is obviously a more controversial topic there's lots of kind of debate as to whether offsetting is good and various offsetting schemes um, yeah, I hope that makes sense. Mm,
1: definitely. Um, and then are, are there similar initiatives out there from either groups of players or boards, or is this the, the first of its kind in a way?
5: I'd say I think this is the first high-profile one. Like I say, I think I think England women are kind of on the brink of, of, of doing something, and they, I know that they were talking about trying to offset, um, to get back to that again, their their flights and stuff when they went over to Australia. There are in individual stadiums, have taken action you know the Oval, Lords, Edgbaston, Glamorgan So I think those would be the sort of main four. Uh, Gloucestershire have done a lot of good work they've actually signed up to the UN's climate action framework so I think it has been a lot of it has been facilities based rather than player based. I don't know if you guys covered it but there was a, a report that came out about a couple of a couple of weeks ago about um, more about kit and How you could try and make cricket kit and cricket gear more sustainable, and talking about the circular economy and making kit out of different material, kind of bamboo. And you've also we had the thing about the bamboo bats Mm. that was last year. So, So there are kind of little pockets of conversations, and I think the ECB and Cricket Australia are also kind of quite far down the path of having a sustainability strategy but there isn't anything that's been led from a, a, a center if you know what i mean
1: um and finally just if if people are listening to this and wondering how they can improve and, and do more for the environment what what can just a the casual cricket fan do more or maybe someone who's involved with their club for instance what can they do more
5: well i suppose on a personal level you know it's the things like drive less take more public transport eat less meat if you're in a cricket club and lots of people do this already, so the car share, I know that didn't happen so much during COVID, you use less disposable stuff. If you're restocking a bar, I guess have, have things in cans rather than in plastic bottles. The winner and runner-up of the uh, Cricketers Greenest Ground competition last year, um, it was a Manchester club called Wally Range and Eight ash Green that are just outside Colchester. And they, in their different ways, made loads of small changes that just added up quite a lot um, from things like putting solar panels on to trying to make their actual cricket grounds attractive to different creatures you know increasing the biodiversity in their cricket grounds Um, again sort of stocking the bar bar with things that are recyclable but I think they've both got websites so if anyone if any of your listeners were interested you know just take a look because there's some really good really good ideas there
1: awesome thanks a lot for your time Tanya pleasure Um, some international news to cover we'll start with australia australia will be touring pakistan for the first time in 24 years very soon they've announced a full strength squad for that series i guess the biggest headlines are there's no glenn maxwell and marcus harris is still in the squad uh, scott Boland's still there so watch out pakistan um new zealand have announced a squad for their two test series against south africa uh should be a good series that new zealand squad joe isn't quite as strong as what we've been used to recently from the Side that won the World Test Championship final. There's no Watling and Taylor. They're both retired. Williamson's injured. Bolt's missing at least the first Test of the series, and there's still no Ajaz Patel.
3: Yeah, well, we we kind of talked about this a month or so back. That this could be quite a tricky period for New Zealand cricket after the kind of glory of of last year in the World Test Championship win. Uh, they've lost quite a few players, and they don't have that pool of players to fall back on. Uh, you take Williamson out of any side in the world, and it's going to leave a massive hole. With New Zealand, it's a it's a gaping hole, and. I don't know. I think I, I quite. Fan- I know New Zealand's record at home is phenomenal, but I quite fancy South Africa to take that series. It should be a really good contest. With that and Australia, Pakistan. We've got two really good Test series coming up, mm.
1: and England, West Indies as well. Sure. <laughs> India are one 0 up against West Indies in a three-match ODI series. In the second ODI, India two hundred and thirty-five for nine at the start at the time of recording. Um, anything interesting in the first game?
0: No. Kohli uh, <laughs> played a weirdly frantic uh, four-ball eight, uh, and Rohit Sharma uh, captained quite well. Um, Jason Holder made a nice 50-odd. Bro it made it a very attractive 60-odd.
1: Elsewhere, South Africa came from 1-0 down to beat West
0: Indies 2-1 in a women's ODI series
1: in South Africa. Uh, Laura Wolfart became the sixth woman to score three ODI hundreds before turning 23 in the third ODI. Uh, and Shabnim Ismail took eight wickets in those last two wins for South Africa. Ben, there are millions of England players playing in the PSL. Do you want to pick out three who've done particularly well since the last pod?
0: Uh, yeah, well, the standout is Jason Roy, who made one of the great T20 hundreds, really uh, smashing Rashid Khan and Shaheen Shah Hafridi uh, when they were chasing, I think, I think Keta Gladiator who played for it ever chased as many. And he comes out his first game since quarantining after arriving from the West Indies and just Takes them apart in a way. Actually, you obviously you see Roy take apart attacks, but you don't. You often see him do it quickly, and that's what makes him so valuable. To me, is he does it quickly at the start and then gets out before he slows down. What was interesting in this game is actually he really took responsibility in a way. He sort of showed a bit, a few signs of doing in that West Indies series as well. In that um he got off to an incredible start. I think he brought up his fifty before the end of the fourth over, which is obviously freakish. Um, but then actually, he sort of, sort of scored about like thirty-five or thirty-six or twenty-eight-ish through the middle, and then got a couple of sixes to get to his hundred, and then pushed on again. And sort of that that little anchoring role through the middle is something you don't actually see of Roy too much, which was kind of uh, refreshing. But just also just the ball stroke was absolutely brilliant. His first scoring shot was off the second ball he faced off Shaheen was this kind of checked straight punch drive, which just flew miles way further than had any right to over long off. Alex Hales has been really good as he. Uh, often is in these franchise leagues he also uh, won himself a few fans in Pakistan by criticizing the ECB for pulling out of the tour last year which was a uh, kind of, I'm sure Alex Hales would have gone on the tour if they'd asked him <laughs> um, uh, and yeah he's he's made a brilliant partnership with Paul Sterling who uh, uh, is probably an outside shot for a bid at the this IPL auction maybe not even outside a decent shot uh, considering his stock continues to rise and he would be a good value pick because uh, teams have not picked him in the past I suppose. Uh, and uh, and David Willey's just been really good again as well. Um, Harry Brooks has played a couple of games, but, but David Willey is a, he's he's the one English player who plays for Malton Sultan's who are five from five at the moment. Great name, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, and he's he's just taken the new ball, done done pretty well. Kept the run rate down. They're they're so good actually that they have been able to leave him out on occasion. But uh, he's been his excellent new ball self, I suppose.
1: And I guess just on Harry Brook, he's after a really bad BBL, uh, an England debut where it didn't go great for him. Uh, he's, he's doing really well in the middle order, where it's obviously a role where there aren't that many English players who are standout candidates for that uh, role in the future. Um, you're on a roll, Ben. Do you want to just take us through the BPL as well, the Bangladesh Premier League?
0: <laughs> well, that, that's that's also your your areas, I think. But it's been it's not been, really. It's been it's been weird, basically. Um, so what what's happened? So the the funniest one is that Mohammed has had uh, the uh, sort of lovable Afghanistan wiki batter. He, uh, he he, copped a sanction for uh, for vaping on the field of play. I think there was like a rain delay going on, and he was out there in his tracksuit. Oh, is that what it was? Oh, sorry, he he, he, wasn't, oh, he wasn't. He wasn't. was You uh, told
4: me this yesterday. I sorry. thought he was fielding at mid wicket. Oh no, because
0: or keeping. He's a <laughs> keeper. You can't you can't vape with your keeping gloves on. Uh, maybe he can, but um, uh, so, so that that was quite fun. If
1: anyone can, oh, definitely There was quite a,
0: a strange instance with Ravi Bapara, Phil. Uh, if we're getting through lots of pod favourites, um, he. Uh, he was named captain sort of right before the toss. In fact, the media, the team should have been sent to the media had the previous captain's name on the sheet. And then in the game that he was captaining, he got, uh, handed a five run penalty for ball tampering. So that's quite a punchy way to start. No, your first. No, not Ravi. Yeah, yeah, he's, and he, he's, he's been yeah. handed a few demerit points in a, in a hefty fine. I find that impossible to believe. Okay. And your also Honour. Chris Gale, uh, made a very, very slow 50 batting through the innings. He batted through the innings for 51 out, which is not something you see Chris Gayle do very often. So it's been quite a, a strange tournament, but, but an enjoyable one from the from the bits I've seen here and there.
1: A couple of reader questions and messages to finish off the show. Uh, Duncan asks, interesting points and everything, but are we really going to avoid the most pressing issue of the day and neglect to ask Taha where his shirt was from on last week's episode? I've checked with Taha, it's, it's from Zara, if you're wondering. Um <laughs> That's one for our YouTube audience. Um, Nick asks, I've been reading Alistair Cook's autobiography recently and have been thinking about the skill of opening the batting, so wanted to ask whether you guys thought if this is the toughest job in sport. Personally, I think it is because of the mental pressure it brings. Anyone want to want to answer that? Toughest job in sport?
3: Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, being a being a leggy in test cricket, obviously t- T20 is easy these days for a leggy, but... I think that's quite a tough one. Mm. I mean,
0: there aren't any yeah. to start with. Well, it seems like it's quite easy to me in a way. I mean, what, you, what opening? Well, yeah, you, you get out there, you face like an over. You get out and you're going to put your feet up for two days, right? That's, uh, that's not what you're supposed to do. No, I know. But, but but I mean, but I mean, you can. If if <laughs> it goes badly, the, weirdly, the 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 worse you do, the easier a life you have, as long as you sort of stay in the team. Yeah, you that's haven't. Quite you quite you haven't played yet. much cricket. You? <laughs>
3: <laughs> what about
0: the mental anguish? Yeah, sure. There's mental anguish. All over you don't really the place, get that, me, though, do you? <laughs> Indestructible. Um,
1: can we not think of any from any other sports? Or is cricket I mean, is the hardest you know, sport? Ultra marathon running seems yeah, pretty
0: hard. Harder, yeah.
3: Uh, triathloning. Um, uh, I would. Steeplechase always looks a bit unfair when you're really knackered and you have to yeah. jump that really high thing and then fall into some water. Also, tennis win, seems win.
0: pretty hard. Like, I, so obviously there was that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was that Australian Open final the other week that went on for Just what fa- kept on fa- five and a half hours. And yet they were still at such a high level. I was, try- I was trying to work out how long would Rafael Nadal have to play tennis for before I could even like win a point off him. And it would be so, so long, like like 12 hours. He would have to be like literally falling asleep, standing up before I could send a ball that was even vaguely troubling for him to get back. So it's a slightly different question, but in terms of gap between <laughs> the best and the rest, that's it is a, a different that's question. <laughs> um,
1: I think on, on the Winter Olympic theme, uh, the ski jump, I just don't really get what the intermediate point is between being a beginner and being an expert, because you know that there's a lot that can go wrong. I guess when you, when you, I guess similar to the pole vault, I've always wondered how do you get into the pole vault? Um, so well, I guess
4: you start with a, with a small, the small pole, one, yeah. I and guess then it gets
1: gradually bigger. <laughs> I guess with a ski jump, you start just, with a small jump. <laughs> hold longer. on, does the pole change height,
0: or do you just hold it further down the pole? <sighs> I can't um, and, summon this. <laughs> so, San Marino, goalkeeper. Yes. Yeah. Or well, San Marino striker. Yeah. Just it, it, being a San Marino footballer. Yeah. You know, again, San Marino striker, you just stand around. San Marino goalkeeper, you just pick out the net. So. But it's not just like. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> we need it at the end, are guys. We, we um uh, One one last
1: message, which is a really nice one, um, from from Jimmy. Um, he said, "I've just signed up to the magazine due to this podcast. I haven't subscribed to a cricket magazine in fifteen plus years. I love this podcast, geeky and nostalgic enough, a love of the romance of the game and good." common sense as well my happy place it's a very nice message oh, thank you very much what does it mean geeky um, <laughs> um, as always you can get in touch with us either through leaving a comment on the podcast app or getting in touch with us at podcast at that is all for today's show cheers Phil cheers Joe cheers Ben this has been the Wizen Cricket Weekly Podcast thanks for listening we'll see you next week cheers